Welcome to the Naples Community Church Podcast with Pastor Kurt Anderson. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you find this sermon inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. We trust God has great things in store for you. Enjoy today's message. Let's join our hearts together in prayer. Father, as we, as we gather this morning, we, in that song we sing, how we gather together to ask your blessings. And we do. It's not that we haven't been blessed. We thank you and we acknowledge, O oh Lord, that in asking, we know the hand that has made provision. So we are grateful and, and ask that this week that that we might all find a place where we can connect with others, where we can be together. Lord, whatever constraints or restrictions we may experience because of the reality of COVID in our midst, Lord God, may we nevertheless connect, be with others, share the joy of thanksgiving. Lord, may we be blessed once again by your almighty hand. And Father, as we, as we enter into this week, we are reminded in so many ways of the state of things in our culture. Oh, there continues to be so, so much rancor, so much anger, so many who think that they know better than everyone else. And Lord, we, we just ask that, that in giving thanks that a spirit of humility might descend upon all of us. We might not be so sure of ourselves. We might know the joy and the blessings of being found wrong and of, of growing because we have come to a place where we understand things in a new way. Lord, we pray that for us and we pray that for our leadership. We ask that this not be a week of one more week of cultural celebration, but a, a week that understands the depths to which our gratitude must go if we're really going to be happy in this life. For gratitude is the, is the true source of happiness. No matter how much we receive, how much we have, Lord, for all of it, we can be gratitude and we can be gracious and demonstrate our gratitude and, and thereby know the, the deep and abiding joy that comes from being recipients of your mercies. So Lord, we, we pray for one another. We pray for our families and friends. We pray for our nation. We pray for our community and our state. Lord God, that in all things, in all things, we may be grateful. And even more than that, that we may thank you for all things, that all that comes to us, even those things that we have to try to reinterpret as being part of your blessings, even when they come to us and they are very hard to accept. Lord God, may we acknowledge that all things have come from your hand. And 
even in allowing human sin to exist in our hearts and lives and, and in our world, or that gives rise to all kinds of anxieties and stress and hurt. And yet we thank you that you've made us as you have, that, that in each human heart is the image of yourself imprinted upon us. And so, Lord, you have set us aside to be a free people, a free people who can nevertheless do some things that are very wrong. But may we look beyond the wrongs that we experience and look to the freedom that is your endowment. And we thank you, Father, for the great gift of your Son, our Savior Christ, who suffered the, the most horrific indignities of all human history, bore them to the cross, and carried there our sin. And our sin died with him. Lord, may we rise with him in newness of life, in anticipation of your kingdom as it breaks in in the present and, it is, and as it is consummated one day. And yet, Lord, until that day we pray, even as he taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. You know, hardly a week goes by when I am not reminded of the fact, either by an event or simply something I've read or, or by a conversation, that we have no claim on another day. That in any given moment, the Lord may require all from us. And so we have to live each day with gratitude, each day knowing that, that it is a gift. And I'm also reminded that all of the stuff I've amassed, and I've been helping Mo and Margie empty their house of a bunch of junk <laughs> that, am that is amassed over 24 years, they could not take it with them, not all of it. And the reality is we can't take anything with us. And so we give to God what he has first given to us.
And now, Father, since we have this one life to prepare for the inbreaking and the taking that is yours to give and yours to receive, Lord, enable us to, to live this life to its highest and best. You came that we may have life and have it abundantly. Lord, it is through your word, your Son, our Savior Christ, that we learn what that means. So open our hearts and minds and wills, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, the Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Ephesus on the coast of Asia Minor, has a rather remarkable thing to say. And it's actually kind of stunning in the sense that we don't really know how to appropriate the, the comment that he makes. Because so much of life is punctuated by very hard and difficult times. And yet he says to give thanks to God for everything. Hear the word of God as it comes to us from the Apostle Paul. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. May God add his understanding to the hearing of his word. So in September of 1620, just over 100 people boarded the Mayflower, made their way across the North Atlantic, which can be a rough travel, a rough journey, even in the relatively calm days of September. But they made their way across, and, and a couple of months later, they landed at Plymouth Rock. On November 11th, they were, they were there, and they, they had set up a bit of a, a settlement for themselves, cutting down some trees and branches to try to fashion what they could and, into homes. And, and they, they made sort of a common house for themselves where they could all meet. And they started life there. They planted. And, and they hunted, and they, they did the best they could to carve out a life in, in this new land. Now, if they were smart, they would have landed down over here in Fort Lauderdale or someplace like this. <laughs> but they were pilgrims, you know, and so they, they landed way up north in a very cold place. And by the end of March of 1621, about half of them had perished. And the captain of the Mayflower in, in May was going to take the ship back across, and he offered any of the survivors passage back to England. Not a single one went. 
Instead, they persevered. They loved freedom that much. And it wasn't just freedom, because when you're under the press of bad weather, and, and uh, well, I wouldn't want to live in Massachusetts, but you know, if, if you're under the press of a, of a hard life, it doesn't feel like freedom. It, do, it feels like you're constantly on the edge of survival, but they would rather have that than live under the tyranny of that from which they emerged. And so they stayed. Two and a half years later, their governor, William Bradford, had this to say. Inasmuch as the great father has given us this year an abundant harvest of Indian corn, wheat, peas, beans, squashes, and garden vegetables, and has made the forests to abound with game and the sea with fish and clams, and inasmuch as he protected us from the ravages of the savages, has spared us from pestilence and disease, has granted us freedom to worship God according to the dictates of our own conscience. Now I, your magistrate, do proclaim that all ye pilgrims, with your wives and ye little ones, do gather at ye meeting house on ye hill between the hours of 9 and 12 in the daytime on Thursday, November 29th of the year of our Lord, 1623 and the third year since pilgrims landed on ye Plymouth Rock, there to listen to ye pastor and render thanksgiving to ye almighty God for all his blessings. And so the first thanksgiving was one in which that little community, and over the course of three years, they had, yes, given birth to more little ones, and they had made friends with ye savages. They had managed to carve a life out of the wilderness, garnering ever so slight a foothold in a land that promised to them the freedom that they came to secure. And so they were grateful. They were thankful. In the midst of hard times and difficulties, they, they gave thanks. And their, their leader called upon them to gather together on that day, on that Thursday, to give thanks to God. And then we heard Lincoln, once again, in the midst of the Civil War, while the Civil War was raging, nevertheless called upon all of the Union, North and South, to gather and to give thanks. Now, the Apostle Paul says in Thessalonians to be grateful in all circumstances, but here he says to thank God for everything. That's a step up. We understand being grateful in all circumstances. We understand that we can mitigate the harshness of life when we find a way to give thanks in all circumstances, but for everything, for all circumstances, that's a tough discipline. That's a, that's a high calling. Yet G.K. Chesterton assures us, insists, that thanksgiving is the highest form of thought. That to give thanks, not just in but for all things, is a uniquely human 
and uniquely Christian and high form of thought. It's a way of, it's a way of thinking that, that taps down beneath all of the realities that we experience. Now, as I deal with people going through hard circumstances, one of the last things I would ever do is a, what would sound like a, a pious preacher thing to say, well, just, just thank God for it. Just thank God. No, instead, I, I try to endure with them. I try to be there with them through it so that they might know that, that in and because of all those circumstances, there will be something where God is still present, where God is still known, where the reality of, of our divine maker and redeemer is somehow present in all things. And it's a hard, it's a hard thing to hold on to as we go through it. And, and even as much as I believe that this is true, even when I come alongside families in times of grief, it's, it's so very hard for me to appropriate that reality at such times. Likewise, in my own life, I mean, hardships that I've been through, difficulties that I've been in, it's hard to thank God for them. But in thanking God for them, what I have discovered is that it reorients my thinking, not so that I think about the future, but that I think about the sovereignty of God over all things that God knows what's going on, that this has happened on his watch, under his superintending love. And so it's not that I think, well, it'll be better in the future. I'll re-earn the money. I'll regain this or I'll regain that. No, it, it's not about that. It's about that somehow when, when it all comes together, then there will be a sense that this is all part of what God has planned. One of my seminary professors was asked about this during class, and, and a young student was sounding kind of angry and a little on the arrogant side. And this is back at Princeton Seminary when Princeton had some of the great doctors of the church, some of the great theologians of that time. And I remember in this case, Dr. Bruce Metzger, who was the chair of the Revised Standard Version Committee and the chair of the Greek New Testament at that time. He said, you know, the reality is there is such a thing as divine accidents. He said there are no real accidents in life, but there are divine accidents. And I thought, huh, this is worth appropriating into the way I see life, not just for myself, but for everyone. And every now and then I'll say, well, you know, there really are no accidents. And as we survey our lives, we can, we can kind of see how 
that bears itself out. How true that is. They say that 2020 is all, or retrospect vision is always 2020. But it's more than that. When we look at the course of our lives, we can see how God has had his hand upon us. So even I and you can look back and thank God for, even if we can't do it at the time, with time we can thank God for. And this is why Chesterton calls it the highest, the highest form of thought. And it is also part of why C.S. Lewis argues that it's not the future that we look to because the future doesn't necessarily pull all things together. Future doesn't necessarily make things right. But it's the kingdom we anticipate, the kingdom we, that we look forward to. And you know the phrase, well, so heavenly-minded, that he's no earthly good. But C.S. Lewis argues just the opposite. If you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought the most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you'll get neither. This is why I have such a hard time with the so-called prosperity gospel. You do these things, and you're going to get rich. You send me $10, and God will put $100 in your mailbox. The, the reality of, of the future is that the future is something that is not ours to control. It's not ours to own. But if I, if I lose in the stock market or in my housing or, or whatever it might be, or my career, as I got thrown out at First Presbyterian, if I, if I go through that kind of a loss, then I can look at the future, and the future gives me an opportunity to get something back. It can be revenge. It can cause me to be greedy, to want more. So it's not about future. Again, Lewis, in Screwtape Letters, talks from the perspective of the devil, Wormwood. And he says, the humans live in time, but our enemy destines them to eternity the enemy being God. He therefore wants them to attend chiefly to two things, the present and to eternity. He does not want men to give the future their hearts to place their treasures in the future. Our business, meaning the devil's, is to get them away from the eternal and from the present. In a word, the future is of all things the thing least like eternity. Hence, nearly all vices are rooted in the future. Fear, avarice, lust, and ambition all look ahead. So we are to be a people 
aware that the reality of the kingdom will one day break in or the reality of the kingdom we will enter into. And that is when all things come together. That is when this life begins to make sense. And until then, we'd simply, we're to just give thanks. We just give thanks. And the great hymns of the church don't talk about with enough time, we'll, we'll make it right. We will make it right. All the utopian ways of thinking have ultimately resulted in some kind of a totalitarianism. We don't make things right. But God does. And so we just give thanks. So yesterday, I, I was up at Margie and Moe's house, and... and um, Mo. He loaded the trailer. They're, they've got a bunch of junk in a U-Haul trailer. They loaded the trailer before hitching it to the car. <laughs> so, Kurt, will you help me? I said, well, sure, Mo. <laughs> and through his creativity, using an old board on a block to kind of heft it up, we managed to get that thing on the, on the hitch. <laughs> and um, when the house, and there was still all kinds of stuff in there. Kurt, anything of this you want, you've got it. You can take it. And I'm thinking, call 1-800-GET-JUNK, you know, one of those trucks. <laughs> and these dear people are going to South Carolina where housing is more affordable, where they're closer to the mountains, where family is closer. And just before I left, I gave them a card that contained a gift card, a couple of notes, and the love gift that you provided. And he, he looked at them and showed Margie. And finally, he looked at the card, which had my handwriting on it, which he had a hard time reading. So he had Margie read it. And then he turned over the check. A love gift from this congregation of $5,000. And he couldn't speak. Yeah, he couldn't speak. But he could weep. And then he could barely get some words out. This is a man. And I'll never forget when I was at the hospital over at Cleveland Clinic in, near Fort Lauderdale in Weston. I was standing behind Margie after Moe's surgery. And the, the surgeon was on the other side of Margie. And he told me about the hard time they had attaching a, the bypass to his heart. He said they took three hours to do it. What he said went right over her head and hit me between the eyes. His structures were so weakened that they had a very hard time. As you know, bypasses can be almost routine these days. 
but it was a very hard surgery. And to this day, Mo is not capable of doing an awful lot of work. It, was, it exhausts him to do very much. But he loves God, and he's thankful. He's so grateful. And when I saw his tears and I could hear him say what, what he could barely get out of, out of his heart, what I saw there was a deep, profound gratitude for the present and for the kingdom that awaits him. The kingdom into which we all live, into which and for which we all have the deepest of gratitudes. And so Bradford and Lincoln expressed that truth in their statements. Horatio Spafford, in losing his daughters in a shipwreck and writing the song, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. and our thanksgiving songs point to the present and the future, pardon me, and the kingdom. And therein we celebrate. Will you join me in prayer? Lord, we give you thanks for everything. Everything has come from your hand. Everything has been given to us or allowed to pass by your hand. And so all things are worthy of your glory. And your redemptive love and power will begin to make sense of the horrific realities that are meted out by human sin and graft and ugliness. So, Lord, we give you thanks in and for all things. And we pray in the name of your Son, our Savior Christ, who has secured your kingdom for us. Amen. If you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.NaplesCommunityChurch.org. If you happen to be visiting Naples, please drop in for our Sunday service at 10 a.m. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us. Have a fabulous day.